0: did you know that you can use code PUREDOGTALK at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders to receive $20 off? <laughs> I'm saving you 20 bucks, guys, off each Embark for Breeder kit you buy. Embark for Breeders dog DNA kits bring you the genetic results you need to create a best in show breeding program. Identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes, like I did, and give new owners peace of mind and useful genetic health information. Embark, creator of the highest-rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available and easy-to-download OFA submission reports for breeders. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. And don't forget this part. Use code Talk to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, and remember to use the code Talk. Their world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and you guys, I am so excited. I have a very special guest for you today. We are visiting with Stephanie Seabrook-Hedgepath. And Stephanie is a breeder of Pembroke Welsh Corgis. She is an AKC judge. She is a prolific author and speaker. And she and I are going to talk about structure and movement. And we're
1: going to have so much fun. And I'm excited for you guys to join us. How are you doing, Stephanie? I am doing great. Thank you for having me here. I'm a huge fan of Pure Dog Talk. I listen to it every day, literally every day. I think that's awesome. So I said, well, then perfect. Come here. We're going to talk to people. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, Stephanie, here's your chance. Give us your 411, man. Well, I started, I've always been an animal lover. Honestly, I thought I was a horse until I was about 13. When other little girls were playing with dolls, I had a herd of those figurine classics. Oh, yeah, me too. Totally. Yeah. Mother wouldn't let me have a cat or a dog. She wouldn't let me have anything. So I moved out when I was 18, got married. Nobody could tell me what to do. And I went out and bought two German Shepherds. Nobody was. And honestly, that's what started. it. Just, I love animals. I always loved animals. And I got interested and my father owned a gas station in Charleston, South Carolina. And some lady came in and got her car worked on. And she had German Shepherd puppies. And my dad told me about it. Oh, dear. So I went and had her. And I bought myself a show German Shepherd. Yes, I did. In 1969. And he lived till he was 14. And he was the best dog in the entire world. Period. And I did. I showed him. I learned. My favorite thing to put up on Facebook and stuff every now and then is the picture of me at the Charleston German Shepherd Dog Club's B match. (laughs) Judge, what was it the A match? It might have been the A match. It was judged by Jimmy Moses. Oh, my gosh. I'm so proud. I have a picture of myself in black and white with my dog because we went number two in the class, and I was over the moon. Never put a point on him, (laughs) never finished him, but got hooked. I started in confirmation, and I also did obedience. I did a lot of obedience and tracking. With him, I did everything. I did Mm -hmm. man work. I worked with a bunch of guys out of the Air Force Base at Sumter, South Carolina every week on Schutzen training, and that's what started it. And like I was telling you a little bit ago, I was very fortunate. The lady I bought the dog from, he was a very well-bred dog, but she had little to no show experience. And so I started going to the German Shepherd National because I was an artist and I would have a booth and I would sell, you know, my stationary little German (laughs) Shepherds. Anyway, long story short, I met some people. And they really kind of took pity on me and they took me under their wing. And if it were not for Pat Parsons and Scooty Sherlock of Carolon, and they introduced me to Chuck Kruger of Schaefer House, I would not be here. I period would not be here. I would have given up, thrown my hands up and just given up and walked away. But they helped me and they said, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And I did. And I never put a point on a German Shepherd. Ten years, I showed them. But you got to understand, in that day and age, you go to an all-breed show and there'd be over 100 German Shepherds there, right? Now, I always placed in my class, always, with all the handlers. Sometimes I beat Jimmy. Sometimes I beat Lamar. I mean, but I never quite got a point. And then as I got older and heavier... I realized I wasn't running as well as I used to. And I started looking around for maybe a second breed because I Mm -hmm. like to show my own dogs. And that's how I got into Corgis. And so the first dog I ever pointed was a cordy, But I had German Shepherds for a long, long time. (laughs) And here we are. And you've been joining for 30 years? Yeah, over. I started in 1988. So whatever that. I don't do math. Yeah, I, know. I do dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what I do. I can paint you a pretty picture, but I can't.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so what got you started thinking about, I mean, coming from German Shepherds, obviously movement is a big deal. Yes. And then you come to Pembrokes, and that's a very different type of movement, in a way.
1: In, in a way, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, different build a
1: dog, right? Yep. They all have the same parts. It's just where they go. So, (laughs) Luckily, the people that took me under their wing, one of them was a veterinarian, but they were brilliant as far as structure and movement went. And I've never seen anybody that could do what Chuck Kruger, he was a veterinarian, could do. He could start at a dog's nose, take it apart. And critique the entire dog, not missing, not one thing, put it all back together and then tell you how it's going to move. And he was always right. Interesting. I love that vision. I love that vision. So what are some of those takeaways that have stayed with you? Well, you got to know where to put your hands. Mm-hmm. You've got to understand the skeletal structure of the dog because that's the basis of the whole thing. Now, a skeleton by itself can't move. It's got to have muscles and ligaments and all of that. But you've got to understand the basics underneath the dog. You also have to understand balance. Yes. And I think that's where people get a little mixed up. They don't know where to put their hands to figure out exactly where that shoulder blade is. What is the lay back? There's lay back and there's lay on. Lay on, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what we're looking for landmarks right and it's been disproven pretty much that there's a 90 degree angle but the way i feel about that is if we go into our standards and change them and say they could have less than that we're going to wind up with dogs with fronts so straight they can't stand up we already have those i mean even while we have a goal and the front's the hardest thing to put on and keep on Period. So talk to me about how you envision
0: the front. So for me, I think of, we've talked about this Pure Dog Talk, that the dog's sort of like a house and your legs are the corners and your spine is the roof and da, da, da. And the idea is that that front assembly is laid back, is set under the ribbing so as to provide the most support in the front when it acts as a shock protector,
1: right? I think what people don't understand is the whole front assembly of the dog is held on with muscles and ligaments to the chest. Mm -hmm. In the rear, we have the hip, the pelvis is fused to the spine Mm -hmm. at the sacroiliac joint. It is fused to the spine. And then you've got a nice big ball and socket that goes into that. So that is much more rigid. The front assembly, if you don't keep your dog in shape, and if you let them do things, they can get injured very easily. But if it isn't set up properly, and those muscles and all are not going where they need to go to hold all of that together, then we've got a big problem. And I think that's the thing that the majority of people don't understand. And that's why in dogs in motion, why in the front, we can have dogs that flip their fronts, they paddle, they go in circles, they go wide. In the rear, we don't have as many different ways for the dog to go laterally because it's a much more fixed assembly. You know what? I just want to put a little exclamation point there
0: because while I know that, I don't think I've ever heard it expressed that way. And I think that really is genius to make that connection literally, for people, that we say fronts
1: are the most difficult. Well, there's a reason for that. And I think that's one of them. Because like I said, the muscles and the ligaments come into play a lot. And if they aren't well-toned, I mean, why do you think these dogs that are being campaigned look so good running around the ring? Because they're exercised every single day. And I'll be honest, mine are just as much... As, you know, mushrooms. <laughs> you know, they, they just sit up here on the couch with me, and I don't go jogging every day. So we frequently say every show dog is a couch dog, but not every couch dog is a show dog. dog. Is the show dog. <laughs> it's very true. And what fascinates me is the way everything works together. Right. Anatomy and physiology is just beyond explanation sometimes because it's like dominoes. If one little thing goes wrong. Then boom, 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 all the way down the chain, everything's gone long. And I look at kind of the same way. I do believe it's we have a standard that's a blueprint, but the dog structure itself is the foundation on which that dog is assembled. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a good foundation in the skeletal structure, and the spine can be looked at like a bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, especially a suspension bridge. But you can look at it kind of like a table. I think probably the closest thing to a table in the front that we've got is a bulldog. Because those go straight down. Right. Off the sides. They don't go underneath them. They just go straight down. But it doesn't do that in the rear. Yeah. That'd be bad. But it's from that you have to build. If you can understand how all the bones fit together. Mm-hmm. and how they articulate against each other, then you'll start understanding why what you're feeling, you know, it's the muscles. Sometimes a dog is so well muscled, you can't find it. But that isn't very often. <laughs> Not very often. Yeah. And I think
0: an interesting observation, and you can speak to this from a herding dog perspective, in my breed, we see a lot of dogs that are field trial dogs that will come to the show ring. So they'll run in field trials and then they'll be a show dog or they'll be a show dog and then they go run trials and come back or what have you. I used to always encourage my clients to show them first because the conditioning work, the road work that they put in for field trial dogs,
1: we like that little layer of fat, not the hunting dogs and the hound dogs. And no. uh -uh. And, And that's fine. I don't have any problem with the weight
0: conditioning. My observation is that a lot of times these guys, they're running them in harness. They're pulling chains. Oh, yeah. They're doing they really, really heavy work yeah. that mm-hmm. impacts the actual shape of the front assembly.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it does. And the muscling. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing right there. It's just fascinating to me. And it's interesting because when you're watching them as the judge, I mean, you got two minutes. Yep. <laughs> so... First, please have your dog trained to go in a straight line down and back. Now, I'll give you a couple of chances. But, you know, I can't spend five to ten minutes on each dog. Or AKC comes after you. Yeah. But it's interesting. In one of my conversations with Scooty Sherlock over all of this, one time I could not understand this dog had a wonderful assembly in the rear, but it wasn't real great in the front, but it moved well in the front but not in the rear. And then one day the little light bulb went off that the dog is wasting time in the rear. Usually they're wasting time in the front so they're not driven into the ground. But this dog looked like he was just reaching out there, putting it down, nothing bouncing over the top line. He was moving crazy going on. (laughs) And you kicking up or whatever.
0: Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion medical insurance for pets. With over $1 billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered, whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, You know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping, like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So let's talk about, let's give me some of your, what you see as movement faults, what you see most frequently as a judge. I mean, you judge all over the place. What are some of the single most common movement faults you see and the structural faults
1: that cause them? All right. Well, two coming. common. And one is, well, from the side, you see it's padding. A dog flips his, Mm -hmm. you know, front leg up the pastor and like he's waving at you and then he puts it down. When you have these faults in motion in the front, it's because the dog is straight in the front usually And he is better in the rear. And I look at the rear as kind of the motor. Mm -hmm. And it generates the power. And that power has to be transferred along the spine and the rest of the muscles up to the front of the dog. Mm -hmm. And I look at the front kind of like a pole vault because the dog puts his foot down on the ground. And what he's doing is the rear is pushing him over that front. Over that leg. It's like a pole ball. My son was a champion pole (laughs) ball. That's actually genius. It hit me one day when I was watching him and I was going, oh my gosh. And that's what happens. But if a dog, if he's not as well angled in the front, he's going to have less reach than that dog is going to have drive behind. Right. And it's like swinging a golf club, honey. Once you hit that in the ball, you don't stop. You keep going through all the way. And that's what a dog does in the rear. He puts that foot up under his body and grabs that ground and starts pushing. And then the diagonal one is doing the same thing, reaching out in front. And then that dog picks that foot up off the ground and follows through. Because if he stopped, then they would lose all of that energy. Right. And what happens is that front leg has to keep moving out about at the same speed and time. Now, if the dog can't reach in front because he's upright, instead of a 45-degree layback, let's say he's got a 40. So that means he's only going to reach 40 degrees out in front, Mm -hmm. not 45 degrees out in front. So what he's going to have to do if he isn't going to break down, now some of them, and it's rare, because usually the body tries to heal itself and to keep you in balance. Mm-hmm. And that's where all these crazy movements come from, is the dog, if he's got more follow through behind than reach in front, he's going to have to do something with that front foot to, to keep it, it out up of in the, the way. air. Yeah, <laughs> keep it up in the air until that dog is You know, almost through with his follow through behind, because if he puts it on the ground, it's going to be just like one of those things that pound the poles into the ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's going to put that foot on the ground and all that energy is going to go straight down. And then you can see it bouncing right over withers and all the hair bouncing up and down over the top line. Mm -hmm. And that's what is hard as a breeder, as a judge. All I got to say is this dog's paddling. Or this dog is winging, mm-hmm. you know, or this dog's flipping, padding, flipping in front, or he's doing all three of them, you know, or he's bicycling in the rear, or yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and that's all I have to know as a judge. This dog isn't moving correctly. I don't have to analyze. Mm-hmm. If you're a breeder, you better know why. Is it because he's short and upper arm, or is it because He hadn't laid back as well as, you know, have as good an angle in the front as he's got in the rear. Mm -hmm. It could be a whole lot of different answers. And as a breeder, you've got to figure it out. Otherwise, you won't be able to fix it. Right. Knowing what's there. And not only that,
0: here's a whole nother podcast topic, but acknowledging what's there. Yeah. Like
1: you can make excuses for it all you want, but that isn't going to fix it. Mm -mm. Well, and the other thing I see sometimes, and you kind of get, Pushed into a corner when you're a judge, you have a dog that's stunningly beautiful and it's moving, and it's got a terrible front, mm-hmm. and it's got a beautiful head. Mm-hmm. So it's straight in front, and it's got more drive behind, and it does all kind of crazy things with its front feet. Then you have another dog that you know he's got a really nice head. You know he's not as gorgeous as the other one, but he's got a really nice head, and He's balanced in angulation, but he could use more on each hand. We call it a balanced lack of angular. Mm-hmm. So what you have to finally get down to is back to form and function. What is the purpose of this dog? Is this going to interfere? What's going to interfere with him most is having a straight front, being out of balance, or will he be better if he's lacking in angles, but... He's balanced. And my conclusion is the one that's lacking in angles is balanced. All right, that dog's going to take more steps to cover the ground. So he's going to be very tired at the end of the day, because instead of going 20 miles, he'll probably go 25, you know, because of all the extra steps he's got to take. But the other dog is eventually going to break down Mm -hmm. because that front assembly cannot take that much pounding over and over. And a lot of times you will go to a national and the veterans will come in and you see this lineup of these stunning older dogs (laughs) and you look and you say, why are so many of them high in the rear? I don't remember them being high. Well, they weren't high in the rear. They're literally breaking down in front. And in corgis, it's even harder because if a dog has a balanced lack of angulation, he's not long enough. Right. So, well, I mean, there's so many special cases. You know, I think that one of the
0: trends that I'm sure you've noted, and I certainly have in today's society, is this quest for the generically sound dog. Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. That generically sound dog, you could find him at the animal shelter. Many people are. Oh, yeah. That dog that just trots right along, has no redeeming qualities whatsoever, and doesn't look anything like anything except a dog. Yeah. And so, I think that one of the things that people like you and I, who are really focused on structure and really like obsess about it and structure and movement and all that is like first in our minds. It's just part
1: of the whole though. It's part of the whole. That's exactly right. It still has to be a St. Bernard. (laughs) That's the thing. Not a foxhound. Like it has to. Rarely are you put in a position as a judge, really that you look at a dog And you question if it's purebred. I mean, even some of the ugliest corgis I've ever seen in my life, I know they're corgi. They aren't pretty corgis, you know, (laughs) but they're corgis. And on one day, you may go one way. And on another day, you may go the other. But you're right. I mean, within type. But I'm a staunch believer in the fact that movement is an integral part of type. Yes, that's exactly where it is. separate the two. You can't. Because an Irish setter does not move like a dachshund, does not move like a St. Bernard, does not move like a corgi. Well, see, most people don't know I was a hunter. Mm -hmm. So I had Britneys before I even had corgis. Mm -hmm. And now I've had corgis for 45 years. Oh, more than 45 now. But with the Britneys, you know, when I had the Britneys, people would say, well, what kind of mix is that? Because they had no idea that there was such a thing. And at the time, I happened to be dating a guy who owned a hunt preserve. And honestly, I mean, his pointers and his setters were wonderful, but I hated hunting behind them because it was so ugly. So I went and got a Brittany and he knew everything. So it didn't matter. There you go. Well, and that's, for me, the beauty
0: of my wire hair pointers. I want a dog that does the job that looks like the breed.
1: So yeah, that's why I have them. Yeah, and that's the thing I think we have to keep foremost in mind. And I know I argue all the time. I used to have a partner actually that could care less about confirmation. She thought it was silly. You know, it's a pretty contest. Mm-hmm. And I never could get her to understand, well, honey, where are you going to go get your corgis from that you're going to run in hurting and agility? If you don't have people, who are dedicated to the breed and understanding breed type and soundness. And this is where it all comes back together, right? Because whether they're running
0: agility or fox hunting or bird hunting or you name it, in order for them to do that well, all day long for a long life,
1: they have to be made properly. Correct. Absolutely correct. And- I'm not saying I have a judge in a class and fallen absolutely in love with a dog that couldn't move its way out of a wet paper bag. And yes, of course I put it up because it was one of the most stunning dogs I'd ever seen. And I just, all I could think of is I hope they breed it well, but. <laughs> <laughs> You're better than me. I'm not sure I could do it, man. I'm like, oh, well, this one could get around the ring, but she was fading pretty fast. <laughs> if I'm going to point. I said, I better wait quick. Yeah. But because there was nothing else in the ring that could touch her. So there you go. I mean, and it all gets down. Yes, we want them to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Even our little dogs that aren't known for beauty. I mean, we love them and we think they're beautiful, but it's an odd game we play. But I love it. And I think the basic purpose for all of this is that we can save these breeds yeah. for future generations. Why should my brand new great grandbaby grow up without a Corgi in the world? Without a, yeah. Well, they have a Copper Spaniel. Well, but we I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but really why shouldn't this child be able to pick, you know, an animal that suits her perfectly? I mean, I get a little sad about it sometimes because I know we've seemed to go, on, go in so many different directions and yet we ought to be all pulling together. And that is so important. And I think that
0: my final observation or thought that I would have from you is talking about exactly that. What are the things that we bring forward from our mentors to give to other people? And I know you've been working on a series of videos, so I want to make sure that people know that we're going to give contact information
1: so they can get in touch with you if they want stuff on the structure videos that you're working on. What I'm trying to do with the video and when I do my seminars, what I do is I talk on what the average dog should do, like a golden retriever. A golden retriever is an average dog, slightly longer and tall, it's supposed to converge underneath balance side gate all of these things come together so I tell them in one of the first seminars I ever did I asked everybody you know what their breed was and all that and one fella said well I'm a Frenchie and a bulldog breeder he said but I just applied for my license to judge and I figured if I was going to finish the sporting group I better understand how a dog really is supposed to move (laughs) and I just (laughs) howled. But it's been wonderful because if you can understand the basics, then if you have a minpin, you know, yes, hackney is good. For my breed, but not for somebody else's. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in a chow chow, Mm -hmm. you know, a chow chow, stilted. There are very few chow chows that are truly stilted. I almost broke my neck about five years ago because I was walking past the non-sporting ring. And a friend of mine had chows and was really deep and had a lot of them and knew everybody. Anyway, there was a chacho in there. And I almost got whiplash to turn around and look at him a second time because he was stilted And it was beautiful. Right. And so I chased him down and begged him, please, please, please let me videotape your right. dog. Right. To show this proper gait. Yeah. Yeah. And it's powerful, mm-hmm. but it's not all the big reach and drive. Mm-mm. And they aren't. A lot of breeds are not supposed to have all this reach and draw. Very few of them. Very few. (laughs) Very, very few. But every dog has a period of suspension in their trot. Yes, they do. Even if it's a millisecond. And every
0: single dog has a movement, a gait that is
1: correct for its structure, that is correct to do whatever its job was. Its job you got it. Every single breed is a little different. And that's why, you know, if you can understand what the average dog is supposed to do, then you'll understand. Yeah, a bulldog, we always jokingly say anything can go wrong. It's in a bulldog. (laughs) But when they are built right, that is one powerful moving animal. That is a powerful dog. I dare anybody to knock them off their feet. No, you can't. Cannot be done. (laughs) It fascinates me. I love it. I love every bit of
0: excellent all right well stephanie thank you so very much for your time oh this has been great and joining us on our foundation series where we're talking more about structure and we will make sure that there's contact information in the show notes and
1: thanks for joining us thank you Pure Dog Talk. <laughs> thank you so much
0: all right crew let's share the love shall we episode 500 is oh my god rapidly approaching, (laughs) and I was searching for inspiration on what to talk about in this episode, and I decided that there is nothing more inspiring to me than the stories you guys have shared about Pure Dog Talk and its impact in your lives. So, it's decided. We're having a contest! What, what, what? Write your story for me to share on air as part of our historic number 500- celebration episode. All submissions will be judged by a panel of celebrity listeners. Judges will select three stories to be included in part or in entirety in the episode.
1: There's something you don't see every day.
0: Episode 500 will air on October 25th. Deadline for story entries is October 1st. Submissions should be sent to Laura at Pure Dog Talk. I can't wait to share the love. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.